Greetings. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I'm your host. Our special guest is Daphne O'Brien. Daphne has over 34 years of combined professional experience in the areas of finance, nursing, and health and wellness. She holds undergraduate degrees in accounting and nursing, as well as a master's degree in nursing administration. Her bedside clinical experience, as well as her managerial and directorship experience was in emergency nursing. She has more recently spent 10 years in informatics nursing with a focus on evidence-based best practices, hospital electronic health record build, and decision support. Daphne is married and has three adult children and one brand new granddaughter, and is also a stepmother to another adult child with five grandchildren. Her youngest daughter, Gloria, now 25 years old, has had special needs since birth, but was a loving, happy, and well-adjusted young adult. Glory had an immediate adverse reaction to a medication, prednisone, that was prescribed for hives in March of 2016. Additional medication was, ugh, excuse me, prescribed, that's a beautiful thing about a podcast, one cut, one take. <laughs> Additional medication later that year was prescribed that caused Gloria to become inordinately worse. She essentially suffered from an iatrogenic brain injury from the medications that were prescribed. Gloria, Daphne, and family have been on a recovery journey for five years now. Due to the significant life-altering changes that occurred to Gloria, Daphne has been on a deep dive exploratory journey into the world of medications that have caused harm or adverse events and medications that induce post-acute withdrawal syndrome also known as PAWS, P-A-W-S. So from Indiana, the state of Indiana, United States of America, Daphne O'Brien, how are you doing? Hi, Miguel. Thank you for having me on. I'm doing great. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to discuss all of this information with you. Uh, this will be a journey, <laughs> another journey on a journey. Well, I'm glad you're, I'm glad, I'm glad you, to have you. I'm glad you made the time and I really appreciate you doing it. So the first question I want to ask you, we, we've had a little bit of background conversation, but uh, the first question I want to ask you is, is uh, how is Gloria doing now? Um, Gloria, actually, I took her to her dad this evening. Um, her dad and I go back and forth. And so it's kind of nice to have some breaks from her, but she actually is um, showing some improvements. It's been now over five years since this all started. Um, and just probably within the last four to five months, we've started to see um, good things as opposed to not very good things. And so I'm, I'm pleased to say she had a good weekend and it's something that we do. We take it day by day with Gloria um, and it's a journey, but she's doing uh, better. I just, as I handed her over to her dad, I said it was a good weekend. You know, she was able to get out for four hours and go to downtown Carmel where we, uh, we live close by, which is a great little town and she was able to hang in. So that's improvements. And so that gives us hope that potentially this journey is going to continue in the right well, the fashion that we would hope that it would. So thank you for asking, but, uh, it, it has been a long journey, but just recently she started to show some improvements that again are very hopeful. So, as I read what happened to Daphne from the prednisone, what was it that wasn't quite back to normal that, that triggered the doctors to even go in a direction of prescribing more medication? Yeah, so most, I don't, 
hives, and I don't know, some people get hives from things and, and hives usually doesn't have a cause for some people. It can be laundry detergent, it can be a bee sting or whatever. So Glory got hives. Uh, and so we tried to, and I, as a nurse, I always try to not you know do anything unless we have to. And so she wasn't getting better and went to the doctor and prescribed prednisone, which is very commonly prescribed for like, if you have a bee sting for, to reduce swelling, reduce pain. It's also used for many other things, but you yeah, don't think much about it. Uh, having been an ER nurse. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's been prescribed to me before too. It's a common drug. I know, yep. I know a lot of people that yep. or are using it daily. Uh, my mother has Addison's disease. She's on prednisone all the time because her complete endocrine system is, is propped up. Yep. And so as a nurse too, I knew all about it. I gave it to patients all the time, but for Gloria, uh, it immediately, well, it was about day three um, on trying to get the hive, hives got better, but she became psychotic. Um, all kinds of definitions of that. Um, and it was, I don't even know how to describe it. There's probably not, not enough time on our, this podcast, but she began to have a, not uh, talk normally, not react and act normally. Um, and so on that journey, you know, you taper them off. And then usually if you, I started reading about side effects from prednisone and find out that it actually is a side effect of prednisone. Some people have uh, psychotic episodes or, or neuro type of symptoms that make them feel bad, brain fog, whatever. And so I found out, and I never knew that. I never knew that that could happen. And it happened to Gloria. And so with that, usually you take the people off of the drug that's causing them to have the adverse effects and in time they get better. And that was in March that, that happened. And then she was in the ER April 1st up in Chicago. I was helping move my oldest daughter um, and she was doing worse. And then Ultimately, over the next six or seven months, she still uh, was not her normal self. She would not be attached to reality. She couldn't, she couldn't take care of herself. She didn't know how to go to the bathroom. She didn't know how to take a shower. She didn't know how to feed herself. I mean, it was like she just totally lost her ability to care for herself. And she's special needs. But again, she was a functioning special needs girl. She had a little job at the shoe store and she was going to be an assistant camp counselor and everybody loved her at school and she served coffee and she was sweet and all that stuff. But she lost her ability to function essentially with that prednisone. She got a little bit better, but then around September, October, you know, reading all of these things and she wasn't better. And, and in the world that we live in, we want somebody to fix it and we want it fixed now. Um, and so you content, especially you continue, health, especially when it comes to yeah. when you get a hit yeah. in health, patience is not a, something that a lot of people have. Right. And included. And, <laughs> yeah. And that, this is one of the journeys I've been on, especially someone that's in the medical community, but, um, she wasn't getting better. We, uh, ended up going to see a psychiatrist because family med doctors don't typically prescribe, uh, meds that they give for psychosis. Uh, and so. Uh, again, this, uh, my, every instinct in my body was telling me not to do this, but again, it was that why I want her fixed and I want her fixed now and all this stuff. And so we uh, met with a psychiatrist, did an, more MRIs, more e, you know, EEGs on the brain, everything looked normal. And so we started her on an antipsychotic. Um, and with that, it pretty much sedated her, does what an what uh, antipsychotic psychotic is, which is actually a tranquilizer or, uh, you know, it's just a chemical lobotomy on your brain. Um, so she then became 
a totally different, a totally different person than what she was. We saw peaks of herself when she was just recovering from the prednisone, but then when the antipsychotic was added, and it was a low dose and we only wanted to try it for a bit. Um, it turned her into a zombie. She gained weight. She again, couldn't take care of herself. And so after three months, we said, this isn't working. I started to read more about antipsychotics. And in the beginning, you read what you find out on the web or in all these research articles that are out there that are at the top of your search. And it's like, oh, they're effective and everybody has to do this. And here's all of the good stuff. And then once you start to have an outcome that's different than that, then you dig deeper and you go to page 15 or 16 on your search, or you start to look at articles that don't come up and they're totally different outcomes. You know, uh, you have that confirmation bias in the beginning where you're looking for what you want to see. And then you realize you need to start looking for what you've got now, which isn't that. And so then I started to learn about the horrors of neuroleptics, antipsychotics um, and things like that. And found out that we needed to get her off of that, got her off the wrong way. Doctor told us how to get off. She became even more psychotic. Had to what put her it? back on. How did they, how did they, how did they, uh, how did they take her off? Uh, she was on 1.5 milligrams of Risperdal. So they took her from 1.5 to one in two weeks. And then we took her to 0.5 in two weeks. And then we took her to zero two weeks after that. And and was, that, that, was that too fast or was that too slow? Well, according to the guidelines that these psychiatrists believe in, they thought that was fine. But now that we've learned, um, and there's a lot of websites, a lot of information out there now about uh, coming off of psych drugs, it was the absolute worst thing we could have ever done to her um, was take her off that fast. And so put her back on and then again, found essentially surviving antidepressants.org, which is a website that's absolutely wonderful. It deals with SSRIs as well as antipsychotics. Uh, and so, so make sure I got, so it, the withdrawal symptoms were so bad that she went back onto them. Yes, it oh. was so bad. It was worse than what happened with the prednisone. Following you. Yep. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so the prednisone, we'd still see her smile and laugh. She had insomnia and she couldn't take care of herself, but she was a pleasant person, uh, pleasantly psychotic. Um, and then with the antipsychotics, she turned into, um, something beyond description as far as her mood and her, uh, her affect and her life. But yeah, we put her back on to get her a little bit stable, found out that we needed to taper her slowly. And so then that's when I really started to dive in. So that was, so that was 2016 okay. in October, three months later, she went off too fast, put her back on for so an hour in 2017. Okay. So then it ended up taking us two years and three months to taper her off of a 1.5 milligram dosage, which is low, a normal prescription two years and three months to taper her off, wow. which was still too fast for her. Cause she couldn't talk. She couldn't tell me if you go and you talk to people who are tapering, they tell you to listen to your body and go as slow as your body. Well, she couldn't talk. So as parents we're like, you know, we're trying to do the best we can, but ultimately it was too fast. So yeah, two years and three months to taper off. And now today we sit at two years and four months since she's been at zero or not on any medications at all. And she's still suffering and she's still not herself. So that's where the five years comes in. So when you said uh, that today was, an, a good, it was a good week or a good day for her, she was, it was more up than down and you're seeing some positive things coming over the last few months, instead of something that looks more the same or a decline. So what kind of like, like what, what help, help me understand 
her ability now? Her ability now, um, I have to always kind of take it back to what she used to be do. I used to be able to say, Gloria, get dressed and get your teeth brushed and your hair brushed. Um, come down to breakfast. And, and then after you do that, would you put your dirty clothes in the hamper? And then we're going to get ready and go somewhere. And she would do all of those things. And now where we are now, and this is just recently now, I can say, come with mommy into the bathroom. Here's your hairbrush, brush your hair. Here's your toothbrush, brush your teeth. And then I have her clothes out on her bed. I'm like, get dressed, Gloria. And she will walk in and sit on the couch half naked because she doesn't understand that her clothes are in the bed and she needs to get them on. So, but what's good about what's happening is she's listening to those tasks. So when things were awful and in the depths of hell and despair that we've been through, there was nothing. Now she'll go to the bedroom and get her clothes off the bed and walk around and hold her clothes. And then I'm like, Gloria, one at a time, put your shirt on, put your pants on and she'll do that. So she's starting to listen again. And she's also able to say, you know, I said, do you want to go out? You want to go shopping today? You want to go to the pool? Um, You want to go for a bike ride? And I give her options and she'll sit and think for a little bit. And then she'll say, you know, I want to go shopping. And we're able to go shopping, even though she's not really necessarily having fun and it's anxiety provoking, but she wants to go. So that's where we are now. Whereas before she would have said, oh, mommy, let's go to the pool. And then after we go to the pool, can we go have a hamburger? And after we go to have a hamburger, can we go, um, you know, visit your friend? You know, so she would talk to me and all those things. So now it's very rote, one task at a time and you have to help her. But in the depths of this withdrawal, None of that was happening at all. I would pull her underwear up after the bathroom. I would put her socks on. I would brush her teeth. I would brush her hair. I would lay with her in bed because she was scared out of her mind to go to bed. You know, so though she would scream and holler and hit and fight and see ghosts. And she talked about suicide. How does a middle handicapped girl who only watched Disney movies and, and the Disney channel and Selena Gomez and, and, you know, high school musical three before this happened, learn about wanting to kill herself and suicide. That happened from the drugs. That happened from what neurotoxic chemicals do to a person's brain. And so I was, I was shocked at the girl that she turned into someone who was angry and would hit and scream and holler and not sleep for weeks on end. And it was terrible. And She's not alone. This is, I believe, one of the most pressing issues in our globe, and mostly in the U.S. because U.S. prescribes, I believe, the most uh, type of these drugs. But there are so many people on these drugs, antidepressants, antipsychotics, benzodiazepines, um, all seizure drugs. All of these have the can have a tendency to cause changes in a person's brain when they're on them or if they try to get off of them. And so Gloria is a little bit lucky in that she was always mentally handicapped. And so people gave her grace when she didn't function right, look right, talk right. You know, oh, she's, she's special. And so people would give her grace. As I've learned about all this journey and the millions of people that are going through it, they look normal. They're walkie talkies. They look normal and people don't give them mercy. They don't give them the mercy they need. They look like they should be fine. They want to say, just snap out of it. Just go exercise. Just eat right. Go to sleep. You know, 
And so those are the people that my heart breaks for the most because they, they, your brain is hijacked and it is not working at all as intended. And it's causing awful side effects. And yet people who are not, and, th- and this is the medical community. So the medical community is prescribing it and, and, yeah. and refuses to believe it. And then there's people out there that believe that, you know, in the whole medical model and that doctor knows best and, and that they are somewhere close to God somehow, I know, and people that, or who are on the medications themselves and are not having those issues. And so they don't believe that it's possible, just like the prednisone and you've had it, no problem. I took it, no problem. So what's the matter with the girl that had the, you know, but it, on all medications as possible. So, but when you are a, you know, a normal human that's had a job or whatever, and then this happens to you and then you have to, you know, people get divorced, they have to move home or they don't have support. They turn into homeless people. It's, it's, it's incredible what it does. It is. Oh my gosh. My life. You know, I, when I, when she, when I got a handicapped baby handed to me when all those years ago, it's life-changing and depressing and you have to learn how to deal with it. And, but you know, that one was like a walk in the park compared to the last five years. This has been the absolute hardest thing I have ever gone through. And I've been through divorce. I've had a handicapped kid. I've lost family. I've lost friends through death. A death would be much easier because it's final. This one, when you're going through this relentless, unrelenting torture of your brain, you know, and I couldn't do anything except try to support her. And trust me, it wasn't all, you know, uh, you know, it was hard sometimes to support a child that's raging at you and hitting you and screaming at you and won't sleep because, you know, when she didn't sleep, I didn't sleep, you know, so she would have the longest time she went without sleep was, I think it was three weeks straight where she had insomnia for three now granted she would lay down for time and have her eyes closed but three weeks straight that was one of the worst times and so i had to take care because she would leave the house miguel she would take off out of the garage she would go out the front door you know and here's it Ooh. we could talk for weeks on this but yeah it, let me ask you been, this let me ask you this daphne when you said that those episodes of the horrific episodes where she's where you're holding her at night and you're saying that that's what it was like during the, when she was coming off those was, so you went through years, like years like that, a couple of years. Yes. Years. Yeah. So the withdrawal, the withdrawal portion. So when you cut down on your dose and then you have a withdrawal side effect, so that caused all kinds of issues. And then after we got her off, you think, oh, all is well. And you think that, oh, she's going to start to get better. Well, they have a little bit of better, but then they have this thing called windows and waves where they're good and bad, good and bad. But mostly it was bad. I would say, so we're at two years, four months, two years, five months. I would say the first two solid years, two solid years. Yeah. Well, the the wean off was the symptoms. And then since she's been off, we had similar, but in a different pattern, still bad, you know, four months that she's been off, right? Two years and four months that she's been off. And I have, I have almost a hundred page. I document, I have documented every day looking for patterns since then. I have over like a hundred pages of notes uh, because in this journey, I've looked for patterns to see, did anything help? Did anything make it worse and that kind of stuff? So yeah. Um, But we are out of those depths of despair. She still has insomnia. Um, which is terrible, but 
she does sleep now. Sometimes she'll fall asleep around four or five in the morning and then sleep to like, you know, 10, 11, 12, one in the day, you know, cause she, you know, then COVID happened, of course. So she had a day program and then couldn't go to the day program and all that kind of stuff. But um, everybody suffered during COVID. But uh, yeah, it's um, the depths of the despair, the times where I became suicidal myself. I, I thought about how do I kill her and me at the same time so that because I, you know, I couldn't kill myself because then she'd still be alive and who'd take care of her. I mean, her dad's wonderful, but I didn't want to leave that burden for anyone. That's, you know, yeah. so it was so all, and yeah. I, you know, it, it, it was amazing how horrible it was. And then, you know, you'd have a good day or a good, not even a good day. You'd have a good hour. And then I have a wonderful husband who was also, he didn't sign up for this. We don't, you know, we've been married now for almost eight years and we were, had two, two and a half years before this happened. And then bam, here you go. This is not even your kid and <laughs> you got to go through that. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, I contemplated that many times. Um, and she even talks about it too, but you know, thank, by the grace of God, um, I was able to talk myself into the many reasons why I would never want to do that. And, um, but it was that bad. And many people, the suicide rate, the suicidality rate that is happening and the homicidal rate too. Um, there is a huge, and no one really wants to do these studies. There's a huge association between people that have either been on these meds or getting off these meds or just recently off these meds that are killing themselves or killing others because of the severity of the brain changes that are occurring to these people. And, you know, and this is what made me such a believer is because my daughter who I knew before was simple and sweet and kind and never saw anything bad. And she was just a product of, of, you know, God. And she was my child, but she was, you know, always got the best votes for the most biggest helper at school and all that. And then she turned into a raging, maniacal, psychotic, angry person for at least three to four years that cycled through. And, um, then I thought, if this is happening to this sweet baby, you can see how other adults that have gotten on it, who are then are either told that, oh, there's no withdrawal symptoms, or they're told that they have a chemical imbalance in their brain, and they don't have a chemical imbalance in their brain. It's the medication that has changed their brain. Um, and again, I've done all this research so I can you know, talk about all of the all of the books, all of the research that are out there. Um, there's so many more people out there that know so much more than I do that are mentors that are fabulous that talk about this. This is not just a Daphne thing. This is, oh, no, that's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Now, yeah. Of, I didn't tell you this earlier, but my mother's a registered nurse and I have, uh, I have, I have, a an understanding of that kind of thing. And I, I understand the medical field is, is, is parallel when it comes to structure and, and, rank and authority in the military you have a similar thing in the medical field you have the doctors and and there's there's that system there and um i heard you say that you're like and this is where this is where i'm familiar with what you're talking about when you're saying you know i heard the doctor saying this that this is the pathway forward and my heart was saying don't do it but the direction of that system says this is what you're supposed to do. If not, if A, then B and C, and it's and it's programmatic. And uh, I've seen my mother get hurt by by that as well. And like, so I'm familiar. I'm very familiar with with how that can happen. And it's a it's a sense of trust that you put into 
into that office, that position. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'd like to ask you about next is, is how was your interactions with the medical professionals that initiated the treatment to Gloria and then walked you through all this? Because I assume that you had medical professionals walking you through it, but I don't know for sure. And I don't know <laughs> what that consisted of. Because I imagine that was probably pretty frustrating, angry, angering as well. Yeah. Well, as an ER hope, nurse, you know, it wasn't quite <laughs> you know, as an ER nurse, we're, we're kind of a different breed, you know, we're tough, you know, we have the people come in and you have all your stories and stuff. And so, you know, I, you think, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, but you kind of, you drink the Kool-Aid on what things are done, but for Gloria's sake, she had a wonderful family practice doctor who I took him, took her to and understand, you know, understood her and who she was. And he's the one that prescribed the prednisone. Although I tried to do it with Benadryl and not, you know, I tried to go four or five weeks to not treat those hives, but the school nurse pretty much called and yelled at me and said, if you don't get those hives taken care of, because I knew that hives can, can last for a long time and you just don't know what the cause is and they eventually go away. But mm -hmm. they were, they told me essentially you needed to get something treated for your daughter and the Benadryl wasn't working. So when I went to my family doctor, I, I'm like, okay, you know, and he, I knew he's going to prescribe prednisone because that's what you do. And I was, my instincts again were to not give Glory prednisone. I don't, why would I ever think that in my head? But anyway, he was a wonderful doctor. And then after the event happened, you know, four days in, I called him, I told him what happened. And then I went back and saw him. Oh, I don't know how many, you know, two weeks, four weeks, whatever, you know, and he found out, you know, cause that was in early March. We went to Chicago to move my daughter and, and that April 1st, we went to a hospital in Chicago. My, cause my daughter was freaking out and we were, you know, she was just, she was, you know, I didn't know what, I thought she was having a stroke or whatever, but anyway, came back, told the family doctor that happened and he was devastated. He was like, I've never heard of that happening. You know, and he, you could tell that he was genuinely devastated by the, by the state of Gloria, um, and seeing her and not knowing what to do. And, um, but he had announced at that time that he was going to be retiring from his, uh, he was going to go start teaching, uh, interns and was going to not have a family practice anymore. So, uh, huh. that's kind of how that ended up. That was a couple of weeks later. So I, you know, he, he felt bad, uh, didn't know exactly what to do. Everyone was basically doing antipsychotic, you know, that was kind of, and I was absolutely opposed to that in the beginning. And then when she didn't get better, we got a referral to go to a psychiatrist. Um, I think I actually had changed jobs. It was the craziest thing. I had been at my one job for years and then I started a new job and four weeks later, this happened to Gloria. So I had to get a new doctor and that doctor then sent me to a psychiatrist who did the MRI and all of that. And and said, you know, this is the right thing. We should give her an antipsychotic and we'll give her a small dose, you know? And again, my whole body was screaming, but I was hopeful at the first, you know, I thought, well, maybe this will fix her. This antipsychotic will fix her. And, uh, and back then they usually say, you know, you need to give it four weeks before it to kick in. But once you research, you understand that that's not even true either. But, um, um, so he, you know, he was a typical psychiatrist, I would say he, kept talking about the meds and either go up or down, but he was actually after three months when she was no better. Um, and I said, I wanted to get her off because she's no better. And I knew that there were terrible side effects from long-term use of antipsychotics, but you know, if she would have done better, gotten better, maybe I would have kept her on there, but she didn't get better. And so I said, I want her off because there's no improvement. There's no reason. Actually, she was worse. 
I said, let's get her off. And that's when he did the tapering. And then I knew after I started, you know, then we had the hole where she rebounded, did terrible, had to go back on. And then I did my research and understood we had to taper her. So then I came back and told him, you know, I want to switch her to a liquid because I need to taper her. And he's like, well, you don't need to switch her to a liquid. You know, we can do it on pills. And I'm like, no, I need to do it. And so he, he was kind enough to, uh, give me the liquid. And then I pretty much started following the advice from surviving antidepressants.org when they have all kinds of tapering advice on how to get off. And uh, I did not go to him for any uh, evaluation of how to taper off. I did that on my own uh, by reading and learning um, and just kept getting my prescription in the liquid form. And as we went down on the dosage until I didn't need it anymore. And then I didn't see him anymore. Cause you know, I don't have a need for psychiatrists and neither does Gloria. We don't need that med. Um, and the only you, other, go ahead. What was his reason for the incorrect way of tapering her off of that? They, I don't know. I didn't ask him. Um, I don't know if he, didn't know better, never read the other opposing research out there, or uh, if he was just, you know, what, what does the psychiatrist do for anyone except prescribe meds for them? You know, if you don't prescribe a med, what's the purpose? You know, you can go to your friends or family or your clergy or a psych, you know, a a psychologist, if you just need to talk. Um, But most psychiatrists are essentially there to prescribe you meds. And so I didn't want her on meds. And once they know that, you know, that he, he was dealing with someone who, didn't want his daughter on or didn't want her daughter on meds. He knew probably that what was going on. Um, so he didn't fight me on it and was, you know, and gave me the prescription. And I was, I was tactful and basically said, I need to get her off. I want to get her off. And I, I have to admit, he asked me what dose she was on. You know, we had to go to him for two years to continue to get the med. And I would, uh, telling what he needed to hear for me to continue to get the prescription so that I could leave and then go continue to dose her down on the syringes that we had to get her off of it. So this Um, blows my mind, this part about it, just the way it's being described. And it blows my mind that a doctor won't listen to what's going on with your quality of life. Take it seriously enough to say, I mean, you're asking to get, you're, you're asking for the medication in a different form from a pill to a liquid. And I'm glad he did it, but I kind of get the inclination that, you know, you said he was, he was kind of like, you know, he did it, but it's kind of like, what's, what's the harm in that there, you, your patient is your customer and you're okay. there, your patient, no harm. You're not there to make your patient feel like they're inadequate, insufficient. And therefore you have placed your, you, the doctor have placed yourself in this position of authority where you dictate instead of listen and really try to understand and help. I see that I've been through it myself. It's incredibly frustrating because you can, I mean, you you tell them your quality of like, this is what's going on. And then you actually like, I I don't know if this was your experience, but I've I've seen my mother and and myself and my wife. And I kind of got the inclination that you probably had to do something similar too. You got to almost get ready for a verbal altercation for in order to get the doctor to listen to you and what you're asking for. It's, it's almost like that. And that blows my well, mind. Well, you know, I wanted to approach it you know, because, because I, I work with doctors and I yeah. know not all doctors are the same, but, but sometimes they are. And so I, 
I knew that that uh, an adversarial approach or confrontational approach would not work. Right. And so I knew that I had to tell him the things that he needed to hear. I needed to be calm and cool and collected uh, and to get what I needed. And I quite frankly, didn't give a shit uh, that he didn't know what I was doing and that I was tapering her off and I needed the medication to get her off. And again, he let me do it, but I didn't care. I realized at that point, and I had learned so many things and gained so much knowledge through reading all of these books and research and going to all these websites that, that um, all of these medications um, and the way that the pharmaceutical companies created them and their re- their research mm-hmm. um, is lies. It's absolutely corrupt. Uh, psychiatry under the influence, you know, organized crime in the, in the, in the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, it is, it is at least for psychiatry and I don't want to expand out of this venue. Although I am very much a health person who believes you shouldn't use pills and anything in, unless you are dying. But, um, in the psychiatry world with those medications, there are corrupt practices with the pharmaceutical industry. You know, you can look at Lily with the Zyprexa papers. And, and, and if you start to go down the rabbit hole, Miguel, it's pretty amazing. You know, and I have, you know, Robert Whitaker is one of the authors, Joanna Moncrief, Peter Gotcha. Um, these are all authors of fabulous books. The whole Madden Mad America website, again, survivingantidepressants.org. There's so many of people out there with so much more wisdom and knowledge than me, but um, the pharmaceutical industry uh, has to, how do the, how do you survive? You, you have to keep your patients and in order to keep your patients, you have to give, keep them on their medications and you have to tell them they have a chemical imbalance, which again, that whole theory has been debunked through multiple researches and books and authors, but still doctors will say you have a chemical imbalance. So you need this medication when in reality, the medication is what's causing the problem. And so, but unless you're willing to look there, most people don't believe that. And they, they fall for the, the very big monetarily positive gains that are made by these companies and all the people that benefit from it. And are you it's from the inside or from the patient perspective, from the inside, the inside, the industry perspective, or like, yeah. Or the, the whole, yeah, the whole industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and then the FDA approval, and then the doctors prescribing it. And, you know, they, uh, there is, uh, it's really unfortunate so what's happened. I want to ask you the position of trust that, people have in medical professionals. What's your, what's your opinion on, on that from your career in the health industry and from the last five years combined? You know, I believe with all of humanity, you know, there's good and there's bad. I believe for the most part, most doctors are basically good people who are trying to do the right thing. But when you care for people and take care of people, you don't have time to read all the research. You don't have time to know all of these things and read all of these books. You did it in school and then you get out of school and then you're just trying to survive and you want to live a nice life. And so you're not going down these rabbit holes because you've been taught what you taught and you, you look at your pharmacist for help and you look at your other people. So I think for the most part that physicians are trying to do the right thing. I do believe there is a 
somewhat of a complex with them where they believe that they're very smart and they don't want anyone to tell them any different. And if you come in with some Google information, they roll their eyes at you. But someone who has humility and who is truly honest uh, should listen. And I, and I have some, I have a family doctor that I have to go to, um, because I have hypothyroidism and, you know, and so I have to, you know, get that treated and, but she knows who I am and she's Gloria's doctor as well. Um, for the most part, I think they do a good job and they should, for the most part, if you present them with the evidence, you present them with the research, you know, you present them with the books, they will say, what? I didn't know that. And then they start to read themselves. But I believe that the psychiatric community is not, I, I think that they turn a blind eye because otherwise they wouldn't have income and they wouldn't have a livelihood. And I'm not sure what motivates them. I don't, and I can't speak for them uh, or the pharmaceutical companies. You know, the pharmaceutical companies have done well. There are magic bullets, you know, there are antibiotics or, you know, penicillin and then there's insulin. But those things work great, and I'm they work great. But then, how do you keep that business going? And you, I mean, just look what happened with the FDA with this Alzheimer drug. You know, they got it approved, and then there were three people that left the FDA board, and now they're reviewing what happened with that. The pharmaceutical industry and the FDA and all of that. You know, there there's some stuff going on there that most people they trust it. And they shouldn't. So I don't know that it's at the provider level or the physician level, because I, I'd say majority of them are good people that try to do the best they can and they read what they can. And if you present them with new evidence, they, they read it and they didn't know. And so they learn from you. Um, and so for the most part, I think that's good. Uh, surgeons, you know, we all need surgeons, put people back together when you have an accident or whatever. So that's great. But as far as um, a specialty that all they can do is prescribe meds to you to fix you. I would question yeah, that I, type of specialty. I definitely agree. And, you know, I, I agree with your, I agree with your assessment. I think people go into the medical field because they genuinely want to help. They genuinely mm-hmm. want to help people. And it's a rigorous program. It's a rigorous program that's costly. There's a lot of cost to it. Doctors do make a lot of money, but they also are putting themselves out there for lawsuits. Yes. Yeah. The balance there, and I get this, like, you know, you've done all this work. You want to have the reward. And then you also have maintaining current current picture in your your specialty, which requires Mm -hmm. constant research. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a practice doesn't lend to that. A practice lends to patients coming in and going out. Mm-hmm. And yep. I want to ask you about this, about uh, medicinal marijuana. And I'm not sure, well, I don't think India, I haven't looked at it. you know, I, I don't, I know I'm, I was born and raised in the Midwest, Michigan, and I know Michigan's gone full on medical and recreational. I don't think I've heard of peep out of Indiana. I think they're getting close. Yeah? I think they're getting close. Yeah. I think it's on the, I think it's, we're getting close to that. Okay. Is it something that you thought about for Gloria or for you or for? Well, you know, um, I was, uh, I'm an I, old girl. And right so I use I'm it. Not, no, no, no. I know. No, Great. but I'm saying you know, I was 17. <laughs> so I had a bad experience when I was 17 okay. with my boyfriend, uh, parents were out of town and we tried some pot back then. And I became paranoid and psychotic on my very first time that I tried it, I pulled a knife and I was like chasing him around telling me he was a jerk and an asshole. 
Now, what was he trying to know, get? That was probably the truth. That's okay. If yeah, it was probably a premonition. There wasn't psychosis. It was premonition. anyway. But it was very bad. It was very scary for me. I was scared, and I thought I never want to lose control of my brain again like that. So I came out of it, um, and but then I've studied since then and know that there is a there is an association with first time psychotic events of people that do use cannabis. But I am not opposed to people making informed choices, Miguel. I don't use it. I know people and have people that I love that use it. Um, I thought about it for Gloria, but for the most part, it's a psychoactive substance. And the last thing I want to do is screw up her healing brain. And yeah. so I don't, I don't want to do that for her. I, what I act, want for all humans is just know both sides of the story, know that there are benefits, but know that there could be risks. Most people don't freak out like I did. And I know that I know that cannabis are, is different now. I know that the THC that was probably in what I did in the CBD, and I'm saying things I don't know anything about, but I think that's that right. I know that they that's manufacture right. it differently now than what happened to me. But it set me so far off of wanting to even do that again because I freaked out. Or maybe it's my body, my sensitivity, I don't know. So I didn't want to do that for Gloria. Um, but I, I just want people to know that whatever it does for you. Great. You know, I mean, I, I imbibe in, in adult beverages and, you know, and I know that there's adverse side effects to that as well, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, just be informed, just know that there's good and bad. And are you willing to take the risk to know what if you became psychotic? What if you, one of your children want to do cannabis, they do it and they become psychotic. Then what oh, do you man. do? Then, then uh, I'm going to say, that wasn't fun, was it? No. Yeah, well, and then you would hope that they would come out of that psychosis because sometimes they don't. And then what happens if somebody they took them to the ER and then they put them on an antipsychotic and then they got on the damn Ferris wheel that we did and then somebody all of a sudden is telling you. So that's where that's where my concern is for that is this just if you do become psychotic or have a bad event on cannabis, do not go to the hospital do not go to the doctor. You just go out in the trees and live there until you get your brain back, however long that is, because you don't want to get on the gerbil wheel of somebody giving you a medication to fix the fact that your brain went wacko. But no, I, I know lots of people that do it. I think it's great that they're legalizing it. I, I do want more research if there's any unbiased research so that people can know the good and the bad with it. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I think, I know there's some, I know there's some, uh, some books out there and, and I keep up with it and, and I don't think it's a silver bullet. I don't, it, it's, it's a, I think it's a, a tremendously powerful, potent, natural plant that, uh-huh. that, that happens to match up with the fact that we have endocannabinoid systems in our body. And I believe that we are made in our maker's image and that this earth was made with everything we needed and could want with no shortage of supply of anything. And that's why I mix it too. I, I have, I just do, I, you know, I, I do. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. You know, I think anything, I, I, I drink ginger shots, you know, ginger root juice and it's like craziest thing ever. You know, so it's, it's a root, so it's a plant. So there can't be anything bad for the most part, but with, anything, I think there's moderation, you know, you have to be careful, you know, like licorice, people do licorice root and you can drop your blood pressure and have kidney damage if you eat too much licorice root. So it's like, you think something's healthy, 
but you got to make sure you do it in the right amounts and know the risk and the side effects. That's all. That's all. Just read up. And uh, and the reason why I brought that up is because it's, it just blows my mind that these drugs exist. Like we just, I, I just heard you go over this and I know it's not even the full story, but it's enough to go. That's, and that's that when you said the depths of despair, that's a term that a lot of people use and subjectively people always kind of wonder if if somebody can understand like well and then it becomes it almost becomes like a like a well my despair was bigger than yours when somebody hears that you know our minds you know we get like that mm-hmm. but here's the thing it doesn't really matter well, when i heard you say that i was like wow that's intense two years mm-hmm. every night like that or more nights than not mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I am, I am super happy to see you here right now. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I truly believe that if Gloria were a full functioning human, you know, and was not mentally handicapped or, you know, special needs, she would have figured out how to kill herself. She would have, but she didn't have the tools. And I was, you know, I wouldn't even hide the kitchen knives, you know, she would have done it. And there are so many humans, you know, children of God out there that don't make it they kill themselves because this torture is the worst torture that they've ever been through and i have always been a very positive person who's believed you know believes in the power of our own accountability and never contemplated suicide ever you know and it's like you know you can fix everything you know just change your brain the way you're thinking about it and fix it i could not fix my daughter i could not change this and for it to happen to a person that's fully functioning and to see what has been taken from their life and how they've changed. I understand why people do it. It's the saddest thing in the world, but it, it is, it's, you know, and if there's one book that you read about this, or if there's one thing that anybody that's ever listening to this, that's, you know, what, no matter what their thought process on, but if they want to learn the best one, I believe that, that describes what's happening. It's called an anatomy of an epidemic by Robert Whitaker. It's probably, if you don't read anything else, Whitaker's common spelling, W-H-I. Yeah. Robert Whitaker. Yeah. W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R. If you read any book about this, read Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker. He does a really good job of kind of putting it all the science and all of the issues together to let people know what happens, you know, cause I went, I went to nursing school. I had anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, read about it. And you just, these are the pills and here's what they do. And that's all you learn is here are the pills and here's what they do and make sure you don't give too much. And here's a few side effects. But then if you understand that the underlying research and the way that it got made and what got hidden and what got, you know, not published and all of that, then you start, then you start to question the whole house of cards I really do I agree and and that's why I find it hard to believe that well I just should say I find it hard to believe I should say I find it very easy to believe because it's an unfortunate truth about human beings is that we're we are fallible we're subject to temptations we're subject to greed power and control and when you're talking about somebody's quality of life and you want to profit from it I think if greed didn't drive so much people could live a very 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 wealthy life without all the greed. yeah wouldn't that be wonderful (laughs) wouldn't that be wonderful that would translate to all the people that are now being treated more more accurately than not in terms of the human body is full of all these magnificent systems right 
but obviously it's very complex and can be sometimes, although resilient, sometimes very fragile. And it's an amazing thing. And uh, I just find it completely strange that this plant, I'm not saying it's a cure-all. I'm not saying, but it's definitely a medicine. And, and that, it no, all these I, I know people have, 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 you know, they reap the benefits of it. And I think that's great. Uh, I, you know, and I think that if I hadn't had that experience, I probably would be someone that might do it. But because I had such, and such a bad experience, but I know many people that, that feel that cannabis is very helpful for pain, for sleep. Um, and so I, again, I think everyone should have the choice to do whatever they want to, to their body. Uh, uh, as long as you're informed about what the risks are, you know, either way. So, Hey, Daphne, let me ask you this now that, okay. So that depth of despair, that's, that's intense. And I think everybody knows what the depth of despair is for themselves, for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And when, when you're there, did you, do you believe in the supernatural? I heard you say God, and I heard you say children of God. So I'm guessing that you do. I'm guessing that you do, but I don't know exactly what you believe. And, and that's what I'm wondering, like, did you lean on something? Like, like when you're, when I, cause I know when I, when I've had, when we've, when I'm going through a, something like serious right and you are at the depth of despair and you're at that point where you're at i can't help but cry out for help because mm -hmm. i don't stay there and just like you said i can't get this thing done on my own i need mm -hmm. help mm -hmm. do you appeal to a supernatural i mean we can always go to, to a medical we can go we, we know people we know human beings we can go to right but do you do you look, do you believe in a supernatural power or a God, or how do you view the world through that lens? Or do you view through that lens at all? Yes. Yes, I do. I mean, I was raised Catholic um, and I was the best Catholic girl for 37 years. I went to every holy day of obligation and did everything. I put my kids through Catholic school who they now are all mad at me about that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but then I went through a divorce and then that started my change in thinking about organized religion. Mm -hmm. um, so I am, uh, I believe people need to do what they need to do. I have no time or use for organized religion. I am very spiritual. I do believe in God. My thought process on what is God is um, not something that organized religion usually kind of uh, wants you to talk talk about, but I believe our human spirit is amazingly connected. I believe in miracles. I believe that humans have the capacity to do so many wonderful things. And we um, also have to learn our lessons. I would say if I had to subscribe to any belief is that I, th I think that we get mercy. Um, and if we screw up, we get to try it again. And I, I think that um, ultimately, though, it's a, a connection of all because you because know, I try to figure out I was like, you know, why, why did I have a handicapped kid? And then why did this beautiful handicapped kid? Those yeah, happen. They, you ask yeah. those questions when they Yeah, yeah. And it's like, why did this beautiful handicapped kid who already has suffered get stuck with this? And then, you know, this is a very simple analogy, but it's very close to what I believe, you know, if you ever watched It's a Wonderful Life, 
and the one angel who's trying to get his wings. Mm -hmm. And I very much believe that maybe my daughter is someone who is working on her wings. And so she came into my life to teach me a bunch of lessons because I didn't get them right before I messed up before. And this very strong soul who chose this life with me as my daughter um, is here to teach me lessons. But um, I absolutely believe in God. And I don't think God is a man up in the sky. <laughs> I believe that God is a power that we with our small little brains have no way of understanding what it is, except somehow of connectivity with love and, and um, evolutionary knowledge. And so somehow all of those together are what make us do, because how do these horrible things happen to some and not to others? How is it, you know, I, I try to understand how that happens. And so when I was in my depths of despair, uh, you know, what made me not do it is because I knew I had other children and I knew I had a husband and I had family and, and I ultimately wanted to live because I believe in life and I had a great life before this happened. When you're in the middle of it and yeah. you haven't stepped away and looked at it, you're in the middle of it, those yeah. things will go through th those thoughts. Yeah. Everybody, this is, I think everybody has had them. Yep. Everybody, yep. whether they want to admit it or not, everyone has but when you're in that depth, that's when, yep. that's when, that's when you're most vulnerable to actually act on it. Right. But you're still here, Daphne. Yeah. Oh so yeah. And I want to be four. here and, you know, and I'm not afraid to say that suicide word because, no, you know, I, a lot of people, you start I, saying that and then they, they do an assessment on you in the ER and then they're like, want to throw you into a psych ward because you said suicide when in exactly. actuality, us as human humans, sometimes we have tragedies and depression and sorrow so deep, we can't figure out how to get out, you know? And so it's either a belief in a higher spirit or a, a religion, or you have a support system, or somehow you got through it before, so you believe you can do it again. Um, you know, I do remember one time when I was going through my divorce, again, as a good Catholic, and then I went through divorce, and then so that was a mind bender. And mm -hmm. I do remember, you know, my three children were over with their dad and I was alone in my house and I was sobbing and weeping on my bed and asking God, I asked God, please help me. And Miguel, it was one of the most amazing things in that moment on my bed sobbing because I didn't, you know, it was just bad. I felt this amazing sense of peace and I felt like I heard this you are okay. I will be there for you. You're okay, Daphne. I'm here. And I, since that day, except for what happened here with Gloria, truly knew that there is a grander plan. There is more than I can describe, than anyone can describe. And, and there's no rules. There's no book. There's no, there's no human. Well, humans screw it up, Miguel. The human at the, at the pulpit, you know, the human oh, that's I telling you this is how it's supposed well. to be. I know it all so too we, well, Daphne. Yeah. <laughs> Go so ahead. It's, yeah, keep the humans out of it. And if you let people have that spirituality, yes, it So, <laughs> yeah. So th with that experience, I knew that I would, life was okay. And that, you know, we all die and then something happens. But with this, with Gloria, with Gloria being involved and the, many weeks without sleep and her 
ultimate change in personality and my loss of hope that she would get better back years ago. I didn't believe that she was going to get better. And then I thought, there's no way I can do this for 30 more years and she can't do it either. And so that's when I started logically thinking like, I'm going to do this, but then she would have a good moment. The weight of what, that's amazing, right? That's pretty amazing. What you just, and then you'd have a good moment. And then that I'm guessing that good moment is what made you change your mind. Yeah. You think that that's or and my husband who let me cry yes. on his shoulder and he he said we're going to get through this together. So he he who never signed up for this and who you know he he was my rock through this whole thing. It, it, you know, he it's not like we you know every night I'm whining and complaining. You know, he watched me t- has always let me take care of her the way I need to take care of her because it's not her child. He's not, she is not his child, you know, but he's very supportive of me, but seeing this, it changed him too. He absolutely has been changed by the depths of despair and the changes that Gloria did and what I did. And so he, he was just him saying that you're going to be okay. And I'm here for you. And I love you was enough to make me realize, okay, somebody loves me, even though this is what my life is. So I think I can make it, but dear God, Nicole, what if somebody didn't have a husband that was going through this or had no support? You know, that's, those are the ones it's like, they either can't make it or if they do make it, they are the strongest people in the world. The people that get through it on their own and they come out on the other side. I want to meet those people if they got through it on their own. So, you know, I think, I don't think anybody gets through on their own. I don't. Anybody who says they got through it on their own is trying to take too much credit because I don't know. I don't know anybody. <laughs> I don't know anybody who can do it on a loan. And here's, here's my, here's what I'm going to say is um, I think God works through people. I think, yes. I think sometimes we ask for a miracle and we expect that miracle to look the way we imagine it. And when it doesn't, we're wondering if God really hurt us or not. But in the process, we may have had blinders. And I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about people, period, right? Blinders on where all these people are trying to come in and, and give help, right? These people, it, but it doesn't necessarily come in the form that we imagined it. And with what you just said about having gone, you grew up Catholic, and I understand what divorce and Catholicism means. I do. I, I get it. That's a weight. And that's like you're excommunicated, basically. You can't do anything. You can maybe go to mass and that's about it, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I struggled with the hypocrisy of it all, you know, and that was a logical, you know, I left, I left you know, my mother was very sad. Uh, but yeah, when I went through the divorce and I knew that I was a good person and I knew that these circumstances were awful, but I was still a good person. But then the Catholic church says, you know, they don't offer support. And then I thought that's a bunch of humans telling me that that's not God telling me that, you know, so the hypocrisy is what really made me say religion and I don't get along but I know God is there for me. And that's cool because I'm meeting more and more people like that. I'm one of them. Honestly, definitely. I, my wife and I have a hard time finding a church and it's because mainly because we can hear a lot of pastors just beat people over the head (laughs) with the word of God and then send them off. 
Well, it's kind of like the same thing with doctors. You know, it's like all you are is another human, just like me, Mister Up There on the Pulpit, or Mister Doctor with your whatever. It's like you're a human. Oh, there's three hot air balloons out my window. Um, and and then I realized that we're all humans, and it's like you know. So it's like they don't really know any more than you. Exactly. They, you know, uh, but they, yeah. So, but I want people to do what they need to do. So I know religion, organized religion, is very important to a lot of people, and. And so if it brings them good feelings, good. But if you're in an organized religion that's not bringing you good feelings, then that happens sometimes too. Um, so I don't judge anybody for being any kind of religion. Me neither. Um, neither. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going with the fact that I'm like, that I'm, I'm meeting more people that, and I'm one of them, you know, you get burned yeah. by, you get burned by a church or a denomination or whatever. It doesn't have to be a Christian one. I mean, there's, there's people from all kinds of worldviews. Right. There, there are, and this is what, um, an underlying issue where it's kind of like, you know, people are fallible. People are fallible and we are, we're, we're imperfect and we're going to, people will abuse something good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the thing, the per, you have to separate the person from the thing, right? The abuse. Mm-hmm. The yep. Yep. And yeah. The, forgive them father, even the forgive them father for the, oh, you're know, not up. what they do oh, is wow. the one thing that I remember from my cat from my Catholicism and it, it works all the time. And I say that to people, it's like, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're either so focused or they think they're so right. They have no idea. There's so many people out here that have no idea how wrong they are or how much their thinking isn't healthy or whatever, but forgive them. Cause they don't really know that they're so, they're so caught into what it is that they believe that they don't even know that they might be wrong. These doctors, you know, that are prescribing this, they might not even know how wrong they are because they didn't read all the other research, you know, so forgive them because they don't know. Now, the ones that do know and still do it, well, then that's a little bit of a different story. <laughs> completely agree. Completely agree. I, I do, I do, I, I see the parallel between the doctor and the pastor, right? They're both there to help people. And the weight of that is serious. And I think sometimes having more patience and getting more income because you have more patience isn't worth it if you're not giving them the quality care that you know you can give them because a person knows a doctor is a person and a person knows when they're spreading themselves thinner and thinner and increasing numbers with quality going down right Mm -hmm. the person because doctors are supposed to people tell doctors stuff they don't even tell their spouse right and that doctor they spend five to 10 minutes with once or twice a year. It's an amazing position to be in, to help mm-hmm. people. And, for, and same thing with a pastor, same thing with a pastor. Now, it's up to that person to choose how they operate in that office or that position. It's, it's right. And you know what? I see you're smiling Daphne right now, and I am really happy to see it because this story, man, I mean, you hear stories where it's like, well, I thought I had it hard. And it's kind of like, and then it becomes like, you almost go, okay, you know, it's not a, it's not a comparison of who had it. No, hard. it's just understanding that somebody you see in the road. And I heard you say this earlier for the folks that don't have the down syndrome, look, the physical, the physical look that somebody can see and I immediately identify, okay, this person has an injury and I need to be cognizant of that and be courteous and careful. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has that physical presentation no. on their body 
And I well, you don't know what meds people are on. When exactly. You don't know. And yeah. so I assume all the time that if somebody is acting in a way that I cannot believe or it's awful or whatever, I assume they're probably on a medication and they can't help themselves. And I show them mercy because it doesn't do me any good. Now, maybe they're not. And maybe they're just mean little snakes. I don't know. But I always assume that they can't help themselves for whatever's going on in their life because it doesn't do me any good to get all mad about it. So I give them patience. I give them mercy. Let them do what they need to do. Because I, I believe if you look up the statistics of how many people are on medications yeah. in our country and the globe, oh it is significant, significant. Yeah. And the side effects of those meds, we've only talked about a few, Miguel. What about the rest of them? But we don't want to go there. No. The side effects of medication is huge. I and, and that's, and this is what I find really cool, Daphne, is that having gone through all this, gone through what you've been through and you, you've described, you still love and respect people enough. So when they give you something in past, like whether you're just out anywhere, right? Snarky comment, whatever. Your response was, you give them mercy because you don't know what's going on with them and then you keep going forward. You know what? That, that's huge. That is life changing. It sounds so simple and it sounds so easy, but when you actually are walking it out, you have so much more peace. Yep. Even though you're going through some horrible times, the peace you have on the inside does not make sense. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. And another thing I always say to myself is I'm the one that has to go to sleep with myself every night, wake up with myself every morning, you know, and I got to re and I, and I got to sleep with me. So it's like, I got to like me and I, I, and I want peace and joy. I want it for myself. I want it for everyone. But and I think that's part of life's journey. People trying to figure it out, what brings them peace. And sometimes people get through their whole life and they never figured it out. Yeah. And, and that's a sad thing. But then I also have hope in my, in my belief, my spirituality is I believe they get to try it again. They get to figure it out. And I, so that, that's what gives me hope because I've had many, multiple conversations with people where they say, you know, once you're dead, you're in the ground and there's nothing else. And then I think that's a very sad and depressing thing. Yeah. I can't think that way. I can't, because then it's like, why do we have babies that smile with their eyes closed? And why do we have hot air balloons in the sky? And, you know, why do we do these wonderful things if we fall into dirt and there's nothing else? I can't, I can't believe that. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's an interesting life. It's an interesting life. Yeah. When I hear that, I'm kind of like, okay, then what makes you want to be nice right now? Like, why? Why would you? <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, maybe you're having a well, and some people want to have that fun and craziness. So that's good. Like when when it all wears out. I think though, there's something ultimately that you win in the end, Miguel. I think there's a big prize at the end. I think if you finally get it right, there's a prize. I don't know what it is. I'm pretty sure I haven't gotten that prize. I hear you. Maybe there is. I hear you saying you finally get it right in the end, and and I keep and I keep thinking that you're alluding to a karmic wheel. Is that it? Is that what you're thinking of? Maybe, maybe. Is that? I don't know. You know. Hey, no, no, I, a lot I, of I believe, yeah, you know, a little Buddhism in there, Taos, and I don't know. Yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. But, you know, who knows? None of us know. None of us know what happens after death. So we can all speculate. It's interesting, but we all will get there. Everybody yeah. does. Everybody does. Daphne, 
Um, I know you said you're working on a website and stuff like that, and you know, and I don't have one up either because I I would do it on my website, but we're both slow on the website side at this point in time in July of 2021. Um, I will gladly, if there's something you want to share with everybody, if there's research that you've done that 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 you want to share, I will gladly put it in the uh, in the write up of this episode because I think and I know, and I and I know your brother too. <laughs> That's how I met you. And, <laughs> and you want to help people. And this is what I see in you and your brothers. It's like, wow. Well, you know, it worked for me. And thank you. Helping. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And again, my I'm just an average Joe Schmo who's just gone no, through no, stuff. No, and I don't and, buy that. I ain't buying that, Daphne. You can well, but, if you want, but I am not believing that you are an average <laughs> Joe Schmo. Not at all. But if there's one thing I would want you to ever, you know, it is anyone going through I mean, something like this, whether they they're on these medications and have tried to go off or they're um, know someone who's on them would be, I have so many things that I could say, but I would say the two things would, there's two websites and the one book I told you about earlier, you know, but so mad in and yeah. surviving antidepressants.org. Those are two amazing resources. There's more. And there's also a movie called Medicating Normal out there that's fabulous. They have their own YouTube channel. Oh, you froze up for a second. Channel. A very, very good uh, on, movie. You froze oh, up for a second. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah. Uh, Medicating Normal has a YouTube Yeah, that's a movie and there's a YouTube channel with it and a, okay. and a website too. Those three pieces of information would give great, uh, great resources and they... Um, and then the one book that I had talked about by Robert Whitaker, Anatomy of an Epidemic. So that's, those are four resources that people could go to, to learn more. Um, and, you know, obviously if any of your viewers or anyone has any questions, you know, that if you talk to them and they have a similar situation and they, you know, would like to talk to someone, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to communicate with people directly if that's helpful. Um, I, I don't have any personal, you know, my website's far away. Any bod blogging or podcast I do is years away. I still have to, clock in and clock out 40 hours a week but um I'm, you know just that you listened and that you maybe someone who's listening could be helped by those resources is all i could ask for you're definitely not a joe average joe smoke because on top of all this you just said yeah i'm working 40 hours a week on top of all this two years oh, well hopefully most people are turning amazing. and burning turning it, and burning in some fashion i agree i agree and, and it's just, it's, i just i say that because of, and it's just basically like one last call to that be kind to people because you don't know what everybody's going no. through. you have no idea mm -mm. and that's where it's kind of like some people it's just 40 hours a week and it's and there's something about that job is just horrible and they need they need kindness and mercy too and then there's somebody who's like you daphne doing it while you're you're 22 at the time 21 22 year old daughter is going through horrible psychosis over mm -hmm. the course of two plus years that's amazing and i'm thankful that you're still here i'm thankful you're still here I'm thank you you're still here because that matters and i'm thankful for your time daphne is there anything else you'd like to, to say to everybody no just thank you again miguel it's been a pleasure and i wish you the best with your podcast and um and your journey as well and um thank you very much and may you have a wonderful warm and happy rest of the summer Daphne, I want to do this again, actually. I want to I want to touch base with you. I'm not going to set a time, but I'd like to chat with you again to see how things are going. 
All right, you got my contact. That'd be great. I'm going to do that. All right, this is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast signing off. Love you all. Have a great night. Bye, Miguel. Bye, Daphne.